What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 121 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk about our favorite paradiddle exercise, and we'll check out Bill Bachman's article in the January issue. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Chad Sexton from the band 311. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the SJC Paramount Series drum set. We get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Yeah. Woo. So how about Someday, that? Someday, Dawson. All right, who was that intro group again? <laughs> that was Kyle. My Kyle, right. my man. That's my Kyle. That's my man, Kyle. That was cool, great. man. I love that little upbeat tambourine that just gives it life and gives it like some happiness to it. Exactly, little tiny little details. I was just watching the uh, rewatching the Aaron Sterling masterclass on his organic hip hop. Yep, and there's just yeah. so many little things to learn. I mean, each time I watch it, I'm like, ah, he he talks about. Think of your drum set and frequency bands rather than pieces of a kit, and that kind of opens you up to using yeah. shakers instead of hi-hats and, and not playing right. the drums like a drum set player. Anyway, I think it adds a lot. It also opens you up mm-hmm. when someone else sends you a loop to play drums on. It opens you up to realizing I don't have to do that because that frequency band is covered by the fact that they already have a tambourine playing eighth notes. So why am I going to just mimic that on the hi-hat? Why don't I be a little more syncopated and sporadic on the hi-hat in that same frequency band? Or yeah. move my hand. Maybe I now my hi-hat, since they've got that covered, maybe I'll just play the hi-hat part on the floor tom and, and add a new frequency that isn't there. I One of the best parts about being a teacher, and maybe you've gone through this on the private level, is that anytime you're teaching something, you're relearning it. Yeah. And so when I show my campers that Aaron Sterling video... I'm always getting something out of it. So I've, <laughs> yeah. I've seen that probably a hundred times. And every time I'm like, man. It's, and now I'm to the point where I'm like making his jokes right before he does. You know? <laughs> okay. You why do like... I keep doing that? Why do I keep clapping? Okay. <laughs> it's terrible. Anyway, great job, Kyle. I mean, that was a cool groove. I dig it. That was. I mean, there was, was awesome. there's some shaker in there, too. Yeah, it's a nice layering of textures. It's very cool. Yeah. It set the tone. It set the tone. So Maybe we might, at some point. We might have oh, like man. enough to keep going past december i mean they keep coming in so if we want to continue this we could probably have listener intros for a while now that's fine (laughs) by me fine by me and it's it's kind of becoming the new guitar center drum off like people on the mike's lessons family page were like man it's really hard to do this and I'm, i'm working really hard on a groove for the podcast intro and i'm thinking like Dude, it's really not that big of a deal. Just lay down a beat. But when you lay down a beat and think about the, an entire world of drummers listening to it, it changes how you play. Yeah, true. You know, and 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 kind of like the hints for how to win the drum off, the hints how to win the the intro placement versus the outro placement. You know, we just ah, had that conversation. Yes. Which one of these two would be easier to talk over? You have to think about there that kind of stuff. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're dropping the heat, uh, I can't really talk over it. I learned that myself because I I felt the pressure, and so for the first I don't know forty episodes of the podcast, every intro was me just throwing Ripping. it down. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, man, I got to get this thing down to like two dB so I can talk over it because it's so much chops. And then you know, one time I was like, I'm so done, I'm over this, and I just played a beat, and it was so much easier to talk over. So just yeah, play that- a cool beat. So did we say his Temp- full name? Oh, that was ahead. Kyle Denny. Kyle Denny. And the you know, the key too is not just simplicity and all that. It's also tempo. How are you going to set the tone with your tempo? Because uh, I'm going to yeah. speak differently over like, mm, scats, mm, scats. That's than so I will over, true. You know, in the, in the couple episodes where you weren't able to do the intro and I had to just grab stuff that I had, it was 
way moodier just because it was the stuff I was working on at the time. And it kind of made right. the, the whole show just feel like a little bit lethargic maybe. Or it's just different. <laughs> yeah, it's, just it's, it sets different. a different tone. I go out there on the kit every time and I'm like, okay, let's break it up. I know what I normally do. I'm changing up. Here's 65 BPM. Start off the click. And I'm like, no. And back to 123. <laughs> Let's get that energy going. You know, and it's just like, I feel like I got like Richard Simmons dancing right next to me, jazzercise, and like, come on, man. Let's go peppy. Yeah. Anyways, Kyle, you clearly crushed it. Fantastic job. And we have another awesome listener to check out at the end. How have you been doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good now. I'm healthy. I had a I had a bit of a stomach bug that went through my, my entire house on Sunday. Oh. Goodness. So I, you know, I was in DC, played a gig Saturday, got like three hours of sleep, woke up Sunday, and was like, "Uh oh, this is going to be bad." So I hopped in the car at like seven a.m. and just sped home as quickly as possible, knowing that the oh. rest of my day was going to suck. So I oh. got home, and then I was like, I couldn't get off the couch all day Sunday. And then the Ooh. past two days, it's just been that residual like week. I think I lost five yeah. pounds and just not. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, lose not weight, feeling, man. not feeling it. So. I'm back now. I think I'm ready to roll. I can eat a regular meal. Solid food. Good. <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it, it affected the way that I was. I mean, I hate not playing drums every day, but for those two days, I was like, ugh, I'd rather, I'd rather do anything than make music right now. Right. <laughs> it's like, I don't Percussive do music. Loud yeah, percussive just, music. Yeah. I'd rather just watch the news. I'd rather watch this depressing election over and over and over again. <laughs> Oh goodness! Yeah. So anyway, I'm I, uh, good. How are you? How's your rental? How's your demolition? It's, and everything. It's good. I'm looking at it right now. So they so we're tearing out the back wall that was behind me when I'd make my videos. We're tearing out the stage, and we're building a big snare wall in the lobby, and then we're taking out all the lighting and putting in new stuff. So yeah, it's going good. Um, I'm. I'm looking at the back wall now, and they just textured it, so we're getting ready to build all the things that will be built on top of it. That'll be my new backdrop for all my videos. So uh, the wall should be done later today, or not later today, probably by tomorrow, and then uh, flooring will be the next day, and then uh, this big giant snare wall in my um, lobby that'll hold 16 snares flat like they were on snare stands. So cool. um, so you'll see them like front on. Um, so it, it's got room for 16 snares, and that'll just give more of a drum shop vibe right when you walk through the doors, which is what I want. Nice. Um, it'll also give criminals like, a, yeah, we should definitely rob that place when they look through my door. <laughs> Got to get some so, lasers, laser beams in that. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Amber was like, we should tint the window. I'm like, we're not tinting the window, but, yeah, we should consider a more secure door. Um <laughs> But yeah, so that's been cool. And then um, I now, got the. Are, are you oh, go ahead. are you concerned about what's going to happen to the acoustics of the place? I mean, you've been kind of yes. dialing it in, even, maybe even subconsciously for years. So are you, yes, so. yeah. So and I wasn't until last night. Last night we had band practice here, and that wall and all that foam is gone. Yeah. And I was like, I can't play quiet enough. Uh-huh. No matter what I do, I can't get this thing to shut up. And so yeah, I immediately was thinking, um, hmm. Hmm. We're going to have to do some. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> luckily, what I have planned is very um, – I don't, I don't even know how you would call it, but it's all coming off of the wall. We're building shapes onto the wall. So there will be yeah. a lot of diffusion and a lot of reflection yeah. getting broken up. There will be no flat wall behind me. 
So, but no um, foam. No foam. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, and I mean, I'm not against bringing some in at some point, but mm. this is definitely, you know, um, interior design for video's sake. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, yeah. so we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. We've been working on this design for a while. I'm working on, you know, collecting different woods and staining different woods and painting and doing all this different stuff to get like the perfect thing. Um, and we found a, a paint that I can't recall the name of it right now, but there's a black paint that doesn't allow for any light reflection whatsoever. So when, when it's seen on oh, camera, yeah. it literally looks like there's a hole in space. Um, I saw some video of that. That's some like space age stuff, right? Right. Yeah. So, but you can get it. So we're thinking about painting the inside of the new symbol boxes with that paint. So the new symbol boxes will be made out of reclaimed wood, but obviously minor symbols on reclaimed wood are camouflaged. Right. It's all yeah. the exact it's same texture. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're thinking about painting the insides of that with that black non-reflective paint. Interesting. So the, the cameras don't pick up any light. It's just like it, it could look really cool. So we're still working on all of that. So that's going on. Uh, had band practice last night and played my 1960s Gretsch round badge, six lug snare. Oh, congrats. Uh, that's awesome. It was it was so much fun. Did you get to see the video? I did, yeah. Very uh, cool. Such a cool little process. I wanted people to know that the process of like, hey, if you're like me, and you want vintage drums, but you don't have enough knowledge to just buy them off of Reverb.com, sight unseen. The two vintage drums I have, you picked out one and Bryson picked out one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind mm-hmm. spending the money. I just don't want to waste the money. So Yeah, yeah there's some duds having, out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and so couple. having somebody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> having somebody like Bryson, I, you know, being able Anybody to tell him. Anybody want to buy a snare drum? I got a good price. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good price. Uh, if you want a decoration for your house. Um, and that was the cool thing, too, is now at his new shop, he's got Andy there. So he was like, yeah, the seam on the wrap is is totally perfect. There's no pitting on the hardware. But the the bottom bearing edge is super wide, and the bottom, or I'm sorry, the uh, the snare bed is super wide, and the and deep, and mm. and he was like, you'll never get wrinkles out of your bottom head with this one. It's way too deep. Yeah. And then the bottom bearing edge is kind of jacked, but Andy here, in our building, can do that for you. So it was like, you know, I just think it's a great resource to have somebody like Bryson and Andy and just say, look, this is what I'm like. I just told Bryson this morning, I'm looking for a 1920s. Uh, nickel over brass Ludwig snare drum, tube lugs, claws, mm. the whole shebang. Um, if you can find one under this price, let me know. And I want it to be playable. I don't want the 1920s snares on it. I actually want to play it today. So I need it to be retrofit, retrofitted with modern snares and everything. Um, and that's rad just to say, I don't need it tomorrow, but if you come across one, yeah. remember and, and hit me up. So. Yeah, that's cool. That's Good super stuff. cool. So are you going to so, yeah. compare that to your broadcaster, your new broadcaster? Yeah, and that's the plan really is. I was talking to Carter McLean this morning, um, and I was talking to him about the snare wall. The whole point of it is to have one snare that represents everything that somebody could ever ask about. Like, how is aluminum different than brass? Well, I've got aluminum and brass. Let's go check them out. And I want somebody to say, like, how are the drums different in the 50s and 60s compared to now? It's like, well, I, I have a, now I have a 60s Gretsch Round Badge Maple snare drum or, you know, they're maple gum maple and let's compare it to my broadcaster so mm-hmm. uh, and record them both and they're in the same size so 
actually it was cool when when andy cut the bearing edge down and cut the snare bed it went from a five and a half to a five and a quarter which gets Ooh, it closer to what i've been playing lately so i was stoked <laughs> he, he's like i'm sorry it won't be a five and a half and i'm like no that's good i've been playing fives cut it down baby yeah i've got a couple um, uh four and three quarters that used to be fives <laughs> yeah <laughs> which totally. is which is cool and i actually really like that size it's, it's a yeah actually works really well so i'm entering a big kit phase i think is it too late when you're 39 years old to go into a big kit phase? yes you are definitely having a midlife crisis and i guarantee guarantee you wouldn't be going into that crisis if rbh didn't make those awesome drums <laughs> it was that's it, a you know, bucks county kit or bucks county bucks county that's yeah, what I, meant. Yeah. I i knew it was one of your two favorite companies <laughs> like um and, well first of all that's gorgeous i wasn't ready for that finish yeah it's so that's, it's a it's an all birch something all birch kit he does like a hybrid solid and ply shell so it's all birch like solid inner ply with birch plies yeah like five or i don't remember the number but birch ply kind of re-rings in a solid core but then he put he got this red gum veneer and that's what took it over the oh, top okay and then he did it like diagonal grain diagonal like kind of diagonal or whatever. seam or whatever the yeah. grain is diagonal and put like a honey amber finish on it so it's pretty natural dude but it's gorgeous yeah, man. As soon as, I, as soon as he dropped it off i'm like ooh, what is this <laughs> i'm gonna put dude. them all up <laughs> <laughs> so awesome man so you have three up and two down yeah it's 8 10 12 oh 14 God. 16 oh, 20 God. inch bass drum i just i get scared like to me it's like every tom that gets added is one it's like 10 percent less groove because i have to get Uh, over it at some point you know what's Um, becoming the unnecessary drum is the 16 oh i could totally like i'm just not having any desire to reach over there to play that drum very often but the three up is fun yeah i bet well yeah and, and not not only is it fun for like you know the silly chops but it's it's the first time probably in a long time that you've had melodic options that many melodic options right in front of you you know yeah. you can play these really that's a turn the snares off and play music type of thing man. <laughs> yeah that's well yeah that's what i did today and instantly i went into billy cobham slash terry bozia mode and stuff oh, sure. stuff i'd practiced when i was 14 15 just like came out i'm like i have not thought about this stuff for 20 years <laughs> and literally right. that's the first thing that comes out so yeah, it's it's fun. I'd, the thing is, as a practical working drummer, I'm just not going to take an eight inch tom to a gig. It's just not going to happen. Right. And yeah, knowing the sure. sound guys around here, and they'll be like, "Oh, how many toms you got?" Like when you tell a sound guy, "I've got four piece kit," they're like, "You're my bro." <laughs> if you yeah, go totally, and saying, totally. "I've got a seven piece kit," they're going to just look at you like, "Oh, yeah. Lord, why?" <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I, I, it is a gorgeous kit. I can't wait to hear the review on it. Uh, that thing's amazing. I got two yesterday uh to doc sweeney snares um mm. man they're so making really full, nice stuff whoo full steam bent i got yep. one in myrtle and one in something else but a 14 by 5 and a 14 by 6 so i'll do a review on those in the next couple of weeks um, nice we got a print review with, coming up on their tiger tiger something i'll know more specifically when we get to the review but that's another like shockingly gorgeous kit it's like a blue tiger stripe or something yeah yeah man i i I was really happy i got a chance to talk to um steven the owner for quite a while on the phone just to ask him about the sonic properties of steam bent shells and i was like i can you please tell me why you're doing this this seems like a lot of work (laughs) to make a cylinder out of a flat piece of board that does not want to be bent um and it was really cool he was like well when you have applied shell of the same thickness 
you don't have wood. You have wood, glue, wood, glue, wood, glue, wood, glue. And it's like, and that glue is, is an insulator and you're not hearing the wood. You're hearing the yeah. wood and the glue combination. And if you want to hear what an actual maple drum sounds like, you're going to have to get a steam bent shell. And it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, it doesn't may, mean that it's better. You might like it less. Maybe you like the insulated sound. Yeah. I but mean, it is what yeah, it is. Totally. Yeah. There's, that, there's an argument for liking wrap shells better than uh, totally. satin finish because it just does yep. something to the sound that you might like better. Absolutely. So, yeah, so <laughs> it was really great talking to him. And I told him, like, what my sonic preferences were and what my size preferences were. And he sent out two snares. And so, um, so yeah. I'm, and, and then, of course, they show up right as my contractor is like all right we're gonna start tearing stuff down you gotta strike the kit I'm like no 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 he's got two of the most gorgeous snare drums ever made i gotta play man so uh so i'll check them out next week but all right let's get yeah. into some education let's talk about playing these dang things yeah right so um you guys have an article in the current issue of md about paradiddle exercises written by was it by bill bachman yeah, he's our he's our resident guru of all things technique. Yeah, man, <laughs> he's a he's the man. Endless pool of knowledge. So he wrote. I know. Uh, he called the article "Velocity and Energy Shifters." So he's talking about how you go from you know straight eighth note full strokes into paradiddle kind of variations. I think it was yeah. paradiddle variations, but it's essentially an accent followed by a series of double strokes. Mm-hmm. Which it's kind of the way I think of paradiddles anyway. It's really a tool to allow you to play accents within a double stroke roll. That's kind of how yeah, yeah. I think of it. So yeah. you, you play, t- you know, you put an accent on the first single, you play the second single as a low tap, and then you can just roll. So I think of a paradiddle as being any version of that. You can have a hundred doubles afterwards, but I still think of it as right. some sort of a paradiddle type thing. Right? Yeah. I mean. Two singles followed by a succession of doubles at the same rate of speed. Yeah. Right. right. And that first, that very first note is accented. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where people don't realize that part of, hey, you don't have to stop the diddling so fast. You mm-hmm. know, um, obviously in the paradiddle, you only get one, but um, with a uh, paradiddle, diddle, diddle, that's another alternating rudiment that gives you an awesome 30 second note groove. Yeah. And you don't and it's alternating, you know, so you get that left hand backbeat. Um so wonder, I, I use that. I wonder why they stopped at paradiddle diddle. I guess because you have to just keep saying diddle 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 diddle. Right. I, I really I think I, and I think maybe at the time it was just kind of thought like well, clearly you know you could do more. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. no, really? People go forty <laughs> years of drumming without knowing that you could have just added one more diddle and then it would have been an alternating rudiment that fit in four four. Um and the paradiddle diddle always gets treated as like this triplet thing where it's like i like i love it as 30 second notes going over the bar line exactly Um, i I use that as a device all the time yeah of course and and then i also love that thing i don't know if you saw it on the mike's lessons family but i put up like a little video saying hey here's the video i didn't put on instagram this is where it didn't go well for me this is what i did for two hours and you got to see the 35 seconds that was flawless. Well, I was I was trying to make a melody out of 30 second note paradiddle diddles between the um, ride and the tom, you know, and mm-hmm. ding to doom, ding to doom um, in that feel. And so, yeah, I, I think that's super useful. The article that Bill's got going on really gets you. What I like about it is that you're doing the accents with slow eighth notes 
and then and then you have to jump down as the velocity creeps up. Yeah, so exactly. the speed's going up and your dynamics are coming down. Yep. And I think that's a really great exercise for people. Yeah, the shifting from full rebounding strokes to a downstroke followed by a succession of low taps. I mean, that's an essential technique. And, and it is. Bill it just kind of you know dissects it and all of his exercises for me when i see it i'm like of course that's simple but then you go to do it and you're like oh man i can't bring that first tap down low enough and then you really kind of for me it's like a all every one of his exercises is like a black hole i'm literally practicing his single stroke exercise number one single stroke exercise from his book stick stick technique every day for the past year i mean it's really exercise one page one it's just like I haven't gone. Do not pass go. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, there man. Yet. <laughs> it's so funny that the the stuff is endless. And you're right. Going from the pages of MD or one of Bill's books or whatever to the pad, it's it's how do you get people to do that? Because yeah. I think what happens is when you look at this, whether it be online or in the pages of a magazine, you kind of go like, just like you said, yep, I can do that. Yep. And it's like, okay, so you're telling me that if Bill was standing next to you right now, you <laughs> could do that? If you put on a metronome, nice and easy, 80 BPM, here we go, one, two. Like, <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Your hands would turn into just like clubs. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't trust that you could do that because I know – because I've played my whole life and I can't do that. So yeah. how – you know, this stuff is is big kid stuff, you know. It's not this progression of constantly – taking on more and more complex notation as as you grow into a more professional player you're constantly going backwards and being like i should have done this when i was nine but i wasn't mature enough to handle it so i didn't do it and um, and that's what i learned you know back to you talking about the facility and me losing my foam what i learned last night is i couldn't play my songs that i wrote the drum parts for i couldn't play them quite enough i actually when i try to get to the when i got to the volume that was necessary for the room I lost the control of the sticks. I yeah. couldn't play. Yeah, a blind tight. spot. Yeah, yeah, and I and I love that my band is in a place now where we don't have um, Mike Johnston clinician playing with a bass player and a guitar player. We're all on equal musical levels um, in the room. So for them to tear the earth out of me was <laughs> rad. Like we stopped at one point, and like, and my guitar player is like, "Do you need a click?" <laughs> I was oh, like, "Yes." Wow. No, but it was so rad. It was like. We always make fun of each other, and I was like, "Dude, I'm so stoked that we're at a place where you can say that out loud." Is that literally like, yeah, because man. you were just fighting the dynamics, and that was taking up all of your focus? Yes, I I could not play with my natural flow at this next step down of of volume. Um, wow. I was I, and I also usually um, we're all mic'd up, so I play with in ears. I was I had no ear protection whatsoever, mm-hmm. so I was trying to play extra quiet so I could hear them over my drums. Where normally. I've got their feed going into my in-ears, so I can play as loud as I want. I can hear them. Um, so it was it was really fun. But that's, you know, getting – if you can't do it on the pad, you're not going to be able to do it on a drum set. That's true. So, and, and I actually recorded my warm-up routine for the first time, like video recorded it. And as I thought I had this stuff on lockdown. And then as soon as I look at the video, I'm like, man, my stick heights suck. Like <laughs> I'm letting my my – my downstrokes come up too high. I'm not. I'm. I'm restricting my full strokes, so they're like stopping halfway through, and I'm, man, really? I'm kind of manufacturing the full stroke. And I, like I said, I've been playing that one exercise for over a year. 
And I, the first time I've recorded myself, I'm like, oh, gosh, all right, back to the beginning. <laughs> it's hard. Worst over. drummer ever. But anyway, back yeah. to the paradiddles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's your favorite paradiddle exercise? <clears throat> um, well, you want to – hmm. What I like to do with paradiddles is apply them actually with any 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 rudiment or technique is apply them to a musical context as quickly as possible, if that makes okay. any sense. <laughs> what? Dude, are you having a stroke? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I uh, well I mean uh, that's a paradiddle and <laughs> I had the stomach flu two days ago. Okay, okay. My bad. <laughs> All right, Sorry, let's start I was, over. I was, so yeah. when <clears throat> I'm working on a <laughs> Okay, anyway, the paradiddle works really well to apply to something like syncopation. It's a musical phrase okay. or, or new breed, the, the reading exercises. Okay. So I think of the whatever's notated, that is your accent of the paradiddle. And then you just have to, oh. you have to just fit the paradiddles within those accents. So it could be a single paradiddle, it could be a double paradiddle, it could be okay, a Okay, okay. So you're not playing this, the standard, you're not playing <clears throat> single paradiddles and then accenting wherever it shows up. It, it might be on a diddle, it might be on a down. No, you're that, saying, I'm saying, okay. whatever the sticking that is most natural to make that, that distance okay. between those accents work. So yeah, it would be. A heck of a challenge to just play constant paradiddles and accent. That that would be fun too. But I'm thinking more what I would actually do if I was playing a solo just, yeah. or filling. So I just aim. For, you know, I just start the paradiddle or double paradiddle or paradiddle diddle with as many extra diddles as necessary. Yep. So it hits those accents, and that great, great exercise. That immediately puts me into like, well, what does a paradiddle do for me in a musical situation? And that is probably my most used application of any rudiment is to phrase accents with paradiddles like that. Okay, so yeah. just take the you know the first couple pages of of the new breed reading or syncopation. Those what pages are those? 31, 33? Thirty one, Yeah, I mean the summary starts at thirty six, I think. Yeah, so just start sight reading, and for me that's like okay, now I can use this stuff. I'm not just playing mm -hmm. a rudiment um, over and over again. But on the flip side, uh, when I was at Pasek, I met with uh, the professor, the you know the. Uh, what you would call him. He's a professor of percussion at my alma mater, West Virginia University. Okay. And he's been deep in a uh, rope drum kind of study. He's studying ancient drumming and contemporary mm. applications of, of rope drumming. And one way that they that you have to play the rudiments in order to pass is open to close, which I have not practiced in forever, going from super slow to as fast as you can gradually and oh, then wow. bringing it back down and he was just explaining why that has always been so important because you hit on every transition of technique within that yeah i could totally so see that what he does That's, is he has yeah. this he has the students you know rather than just kind of randomly accelerando and decelerando they they just go through each tempo and play the rudiment at that tempo and try to find where's the point when you're you could go from wrist the fingers, fingers like where is your transition point sure. and then just focus on that and try to you know push how long you can just use wrist versus introducing the fingers or make the fingers more articulate so it doesn't start to sound floppy you know like working on right. those transitions so that's that's, awesome. that's something i want to get back into is trying that because it seemed like it was a perfect way i mean that's the way i was taught to practice rudiments but i haven't done it since yeah. eighth grade probably Sure, sure. That's I, I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's, it's 
syncopation is so funny. I mean, every time someone tells you what they do with it, you yeah. think you've done it all. It's <laughs> yeah. like, I haven't done that one. Um, yeah, and I was, I mean, the whole time you were talking, I was thinking, like, okay, so summary number one would be, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. yeah, and it's like I've never done that. But yeah. but what's great, and this is what I preach to my students all the time: when you're learning something, don't freak out about when are you going to use this. The fact that you just said syncopation with paradiddles and paradiddle diddles and double paradiddles, and I was able to do it without working it out, is because I practiced all that stuff in, <laughs> right. back in the day, and I wasn't wondering like you know I never asked my teacher, well, what's the cool thing? Like, how do you use this, yeah. you know, jump straight I'm only going to do a pat of flaw flaw if you can show me how to rip it on the kid. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, dude, it might, you just might have two alternating flams one day. Yeah. And it just is what's <laughs> needed. And your pat of flaw flaw gave you that. Um, so anyway, so, so my favorite paradiddle exercise is probably a little more drum set oriented and it's more of a placement thing. So it's taking any foot ostinato, let's say samba or bio, mm-hmm. and then... Uh, playing paradiddles and the accents of this, and this is all single paradiddles. The accents are on the toms. Um, so right hand is on the floor tom, left hand is on the rack tom, everything else is on the snare. So as your feet are going, doom, chit, doom, chit, doom, chit, doom, chit, you're going, doom, 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 and it's every bar you then just add in a 16th note rest on the downbeat of one, so it just shifts over. And just it's just a placement exercise to get used to. You play the first bar on the downbeats, then the paradiddles start on the E's, then the paradiddles start on the ands, mm-hmm. and the paradiddles start on the uhs. Um, cool. And so you can do that by adding in... There's so many easy ways to do this. You could have just a 16th note rest, which is fine. Most drummers aren't responsible enough to handle a rest. And if you give them a rest, <laughs> they don't come back in where they need to come back in. So filling in all the notes is kind of necessary sometimes. So you can think of it like this. Do... Four paradiddles, and on the last one, you're going to do left, right, left, left, left. So three lefts at the very end of the last one, and that'll just move you forward in time, one sixteenth note, and then you start. And so it's just a shifting exercise and getting used to the feeling. It's almost just like the gap, or not the gap, the uh, click practice, the offbeat click practice. Mm-hmm. It's getting used to internalizing the E's, internalizing the ands, internalizing the uhs. And uh, and once I do it, I don't really actually do it one bar at a time. I kind of do it and sit there until I'm comfortable, until I've really explored right. starting this thing on the E's. And the E's are my new thing, even though my feet are holding down that original downbeat. And then I just add in that one extra left hand, which throws me forward in time, one sixteenth note. That's nice. That's a good one. I mean, that's that's similar yeah. to something that... Actually, I guess it's a combination of the two. We were, we, you were thinking that my syncopation exercise was to play just paradiddles and superimpose accents. Yeah. that And I do that too where I do like um, – I don't really have a name for it. It's definitely – I don't know. I don't think it's what people call the paradiddle pyramid. But it's just going through the paradiddles and shifting the accent of the single paradiddle from the downbeat to the E to the N to the uh. Um, but keeping the sticking the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, and I do that over like a samba foot ostinato as well for mm-hmm. my students. So, um, that's a great dynamic exercise. But going through syncopation summary number one and never changing the sticking of single paradiddle, but accenting those hits, <laughs> that would be tough, man. That's worth a try. I mean, that, that's it not, is. I'm sure that's been done before, and someone listening is going to like, uh, I've been, I was taught that 
20 years ago. Yeah. But yeah, by the way, I was six <laughs> when I did that. Your podcast sucks. <laughs> yeah. Well, here, okay, let me ask you this. If you were. <laughs> sorry. I do have Little, one. I mean, there was a. It's a totally off topic, but uh, Ralph Peterson has a great way of playing syncopation where you always do the elven triplets with the left hand on the second and third note. Okay. But you also add the rhythm of syncopation on top of that. Oh, nice. So you might okay. be playing so six your left notes hand's in a row. Going like, um, and, then, and then your right hand plays syncopation? No, your left hand just throws the rhythm of syncopation on top of it. So you might play like six triplet oh. notes in a row. You might end up playing constant triplets. It's pretty. That's a that's a wicked one. (laughs) If you guys ever want to see what it's really like back in the day, (laughs) go watch some basic footage of Ralph. Man, he's he still has my favorite quote of all time that happened on my stage. Which uh, when he was here teaching, he said, he said, if you wish someone heard what just happened, you were playing, and if you wish no one heard what just happened, you were practicing. Um, <laughs> nice, I, I like, like yeah, that. Yeah, man. Yeah, he was talking about being on a, stage, though. <laughs> no, no, he was talking about being. He was talking about practicing in your practice room, where you kind of think some people are walking past the hallway, so you're kind of blazing your chops because yeah. you think someone's listening in. So he said, if you if you wish somebody heard what just happened, you were playing, and if you wish no one heard what you're doing, you were practicing. Um, and good, I thought it, it took me back to doing quarter notes on the ride when I was learning jazz for like two hours, being like, I hope no one hears this because. <laughs> I'm the owner of this music school, and I'm playing quarter notes at 60 BPM, and I'm cussing myself out while doing it. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you suck. And I'm like, oh, I hope no one hears this. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, I was going to say something else about the paradiddle thing. Um, oh, okay, so let me ask you this. Um, if we were going to do the paradiddle, single paradiddle, and we're using syncopation, we're going to accent that. Mm-hmm. Would you internalize the syncopated rhythm as 16th notes, or would it be as written? I would, would you feel it as one e a two and three and four e a one and two e a three e a four? I would, yes, I would think of written uh, the paradiddles would be played as as sixteenth notes over the eighth notes that are written in syncopation. Okay, so you wouldn't think of the paradiddle. Well, I guess I could make it easier and say, would you play the paradiddles as eighths or as sixteenths? Yeah, they'd be they'd be a, a bed of sixteenth notes while accenting okay. the syncopation as written as eighth. So notes if I was notes. here with my paradiddles, you'd be feeling it as bop 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 exactly. Bop. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool to go bop 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 bop. Yeah, that would it would turn into like a lot more inverted paradiddles and and like six stroke rolls and stuff. Well, no, because remember you can't change the sticking. Oh, you mean just playing the yeah your new insane version of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm nerding out, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, so that's good what I'm luck. Saying. Yeah, especially that first measure, bub up, bub up, bub. I'm already. Do... I can't even do the. I know the first two notes would be the singles, and then I'm out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you got to accent inside the doubles. That's yeah, no. <laughs> And we just lost half of our listener base. <laughs> Should we talk about Chad Sexton now? <laughs> I wouldn't mind it at all. Can we just talk about that snare tone? Quing! Uh, which I destroyed a couple drums trying to replicate back in the day. Man, we all did. <laughs> all, I, I mean, I've told I've told the story many times. At a, that twelve by five and a half or twelve by six uh, uh, ascend LP oh, ascend yeah. snare drum. Yeah, that was my Chad Sexton snare drum. Man, how did you not? Rip the lugs off of that thing, dog. I don't know. I, I 
<laughs> and I didn't know enough to know. Like, well, I can tell you this: I stretched both heads to a point that they shouldn't be. Where I was like, "Yeah, right. There's something wrong. That doesn't look right." Like, there's the no hoop rim. Goes like, under the, the hoop is <laughs> even. Yeah, the hoop was even. I'm like, I can't do a rim shot because there's no hoop. You're just tightening it too much. The bearing edge. Yeah. Man, I love that drum. But yeah, and that you know. I would say for me at the time, Chad Sexton and Adrian Young were both pushing that thing. That's where I was getting it from, um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was amazing. And uh, and it was it's funny, you know. You we all think about like muffling the drum and choking or uh, uh, muting the drum, but when you crank it tight enough, it actually chokes, and then it just becomes dead on its own. So it's really cool, man. Um, yeah. But Chad was a, a big part of that for me for sure. So what's going on with Chad now? Is 311 together? Are they touring? Yeah, they're still doing what they're doing, and they've got a new record, Mosaic. I I was kind of shocked to because we have a, a, a two piece spread with him, a two page spread. Man, I need to go okay. back to bed. I thought I felt good. <laughs> two page spread with him in the January issue, but in the intro, okay. they they talked about the fact it's been the original lineup 25 years. I immediately was like, that can't be right. 25 years wow. and not one member has quit or in exchange oh, yeah. for someone else so it's kind of i mean 25 i mean that's that's rock and roll hall of fame uh already they're yeah. already eligible yeah. that's which is insane because i remember thinking 311 i still feel like they were a new band but that just shows that right. i'm not a old. young man <laughs> right that we are old yeah i mean this is the this is high school for me you know totally they yeah my, my brother my brother brought home the the first album from college and it just it changed my world it was that record the first rage against machine record and yeah. red hot chili peppers blood sugar sex magic those three albums was like okay game over i'm gonna play funky rock music for the rest of my life right that's it yeah done you know for me it was it was uh 311's first album coupled with incubus's first album science those oh, were the yeah. two that pushed me over and that i kind of tied those two together um, and because this is a time like where all of a sudden it was like, dude, is that a was that a DJ scratch in this rock song? What the yeah, hell just right. happened? Yeah, never heard that before, you know. And so yeah, it was cool stuff. But Chad was, you know, uh, along with Chad Smith, Chad was in there in that world of giving us beats where you could learn that, and then somebody at high school would be like, oh, you learned Amber, oh, you learned whatever, yeah. you learned this. 311 beat um yeah, yeah and also too you know after the police we kind of went away from having the drums up front in the mix and when 311 came out all of a sudden 311 and very different style but even the spin doctors those two all of a sudden just had this like the drums were so present and so forward in the mix yeah you know? and, I th- and yeah and i think that's a good comparison because they're both real clear articulate players and that that's what kind of caught right. my ear because i was at the time i was heavy into rudimental drumming and i could hear that he had some background in that and it was it all kind of just felt like he was my guy i mean he was he was playing like almost fusion style drums in a rock band and for me that was the perfect mix i wanted to get my my dennis chambers vinnie vibe but in a band that was like really rocked and i felt like 311 had that perfectly rage was more just like a zeppelin power kind of thing which i also loved but the yeah. technical side of 311 was was for me was that was it. He, Chad just had something cool. His his roles are so clean. He also definitely doesn't get enough credit for what he did for the drum industry. Like, you know, I don't know if Orange County would have been OCDP uh, at the time without the power trio of Adrian Young, 
Chad Sexton and Travis Barker. Yeah, but true. Yep. It was such a thing where everybody asked, "How do I get that snare sound?" You know, and how do I get to you to drill sound a four-inch hole in the shell? <laughs> exactly right. Uh, yeah, we all. And then it was like, "Oh, okay. Well, uh, at at the next Winter Nam, I'll find out. I'll go by OCDP's booth." Uh, and that was definitely one of those things where he made drumming cool again. He was part of that group. I mean, I really think that. Obviously, Travis became the most um, celebritized. That's not a word, but he he became the most famous of the drummers to the world of non-drummers. But yeah, Chad yeah. Sexton, Adrian Young, and Travis at the same time, they were. It was just like, wow, you made drums cool again, and and everybody wants to play. And and I think also the one thing that was great about those three guys and Chad Sexton especially was that it was tangible. It 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 made you feel like I could do that. You know, whether you could or not, different story, but it made you feel like I could play those beats. You know, it wasn't Rush or something like that. Um, Now, do you know, does Chad still have his shop? I remember he had an actual shop in L.A. for a while. I'm not sure if it's open anymore. Hmm. Uh, We'd have to to kind of look around. Remember what it was called? uh, It was called... Chad Sexton's drum shop. I don't know. I, I, uh, I don't. I, I never went there, but uh, I don't go to LA very often. So, um, but I, I just know that what was what I liked about him drum was, he was City. clearly it's called Drum City. Okay. But I, I believe it's closed, unfortunately. Okay. It was. It was just cool to see him giving back to the drumming world, you know, uh, by having a shop and and being a part of it. Um, and he's definitely one of those drummers that. Uh, we don't know a ton about as a person is not like you know overly crazy on social media but dude such an impact so it's really cool that they're still going well what was the name of their new album again it is called mosaic cool man yeah i mean it's and he says he used this is awesome most of the snare on this record is one of those pearl sensitone snares a steel nice. five and a half by fourteen steel like that's a what is that a 250 dollars snare drum 300 dollars that's a yeah that's so. a highly recommended snare to my students because it's like it's awesome. It has two lugs. Like yeah. I love two lugs and <laughs> two lugs beaded shell. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. It's a. It looks like it looks like a thousand dollar snare drum. Yep. Love that drum. Uh, any possibility of dropping in a clip? Sure, let's do it. Let's hear it. All right, let's talk about some gear. So in this same issue, I checked out the new SJC Paramount series, which is their, um, you know, they're trying to bring the custom shop vibe with attention to detail that they're known for, but in a more kind of affordable and also kind of streamlined. So I, I believe this Paramount series is only available in one finish, but it's just a really awesome dark walnut finish. It's it's, yeah. it's beautiful. I think it, it would appeal to anyone. I mean, it looks like a like an old uh not old but like a 70s gretch kind of a finish to me it's fun this is the actual this is pretty much the finish that i just ordered my new usa custom in oh yeah um, in a gloss yeah, it's called, you they satin? call it in a gloss yeah they call yeah. it antique maple but it's really just a walnut finish yeah um, so it's a gorgeous kit and i think it, there's a limited um i'm just looking at the root there's two shell packs you get a three piece that has an eight by 12 16 by 16 and an 18 by 22 or there's a five piece that adds a seven by ten tom and uh what else you know that's it yeah so that's the and a six and a half by 14 matching snare 
There you go. So it's very limited, yeah. which I think is smart, and to not offer everything that you could ever want in every series and just focus. Right. It well, in. then, and when you do that, then it just becomes a custom company again. And yeah, so, exactly. I mean, they're they're known for being one of the best com- custom companies in the world. And now it's like, hey, if you don't want to deal with what it's like to order a custom drum set, which is, by the way, insane, because once people start giving you yeah. options, and if you don't know what those options do. You don't want to mess up a four thousand dollar drum set or whatever you're ordering, you know. I so, know. Um, it, yeah, so I, I hear love horror this. stories from from oh. my buddies that make drums. Are like everyone is an ex- expert, and they they always pick the wrong thing, and you're like, oh, all right, I'll and you do can't that talk them out of it, <laughs> but right. you're not going to be happy with it. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and then I just want like the reinforcement hoops to be out of Australian Bavango. Like, <laughs> stop. Um, I, I love on this kit. I love the low mass lugs, and I love that mm-hmm. they're you know SJC has their own lugs now. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, really, if if you guys follow SJC or uh, Mike online. They know what they're doing when it comes to social media and brand awareness, and they make a great product. And they were part of that custom drum thing that showed up, you know, ten years ago, and everyone else died off, and they stuck around. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, I mean, they're clearly pivoting into just being more of a drum company and not just a, you know, right, you know, if you you know, crazy custom build. They still do that, but this is kind of their. You know, this is like their all-purpose series that's not super high-priced. It's, it's, I believe it's made in Taiwan, but they, you know, it's altered their specs. Sure. Um, like you mentioned, the details that impressed me were that they didn't just use stock lugs and spurs. They actually have their own versions of, you know, the small lugs and their spurs. The thumb screws are, are shaped a little bit different. Just the little stuff that, that for me reminds me, like, this yeah. isn't just a assembly line kit. This is a, their thing. It's it comes down to taste too, like yeah. black washers. Those black washers. It's I can't imagine they cost the company any more to make them black or white. But <laughs> yeah. man, when you see them, you just feel like, oh well, that was a choice. That's a little tiny detail that I love. I can't tell from the picture, but it almost looks like there's a wood grommet on the tom, um, like natural wood. I can't tell if it's brass or natural wood. It's a br- um, You mean the the vent? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Like a brass. Is it brass? Yep. Cool. Really cool. Um, yeah, it, the the kit's just a, a good looking kit, and I really love. I've all, I'm just a fan of like those low mass lugs, especially when you get down into a 10 inch tom. It's going to let that 10 sing. It looks yeah. like the toms come with um, like uh, whatever would have been rims mounts. Yep. Yeah, they're you know just the the generic version of it. You know, right. It's the suspension mount that wraps around and, right. and grabs. I think three or four of the tension rods depending on the the drum size of the drum um you know those aren't my favorite but they work and these are they're not super bulky and heavy so i didn't feel like they added like a ton of weight to the drum right i guess they're lightweight aluminum rather than heavy steel oh Uh, really okay cool yeah i I assume i I could be completely wrong but i didn't feel like the drums were super heavy and that's for a gigging drummer that's super crucial i mean if i had to take if they were really heavy i would take it off and just use a snare basket just because I just don't want to add extra pounds just for 10 seconds of sustain on my rack tom. Right. But that's just me. Well, and, I mean, price-wise, you know, the three-piece shell pack, do you know if this is list, the, the 1399 Um No, that's sell price. So you that's can sell buy price. it. Okay. Yeah, 14, it's, it's 1400 bucks for the for the three-piece, 1900 bucks for the five-piece with the matching snare. That's, that's awesome. That's right in there for a professional kit that, that – Yep. looks and sounds great it's versatile but it's not so custom that you're gonna have to like you know be afraid to take it anywhere 
Right. Yeah. And that's, that's important too. Um, we've all talked about how many friends we have that own some of the greatest drum sets in the world and they gig with a, you know, whatever a beater yeah. kit. Yeah. yeah. So, well, let's uh, let's give this thing a, sound, uh, a sound. Let's give this thing a listen. <laughs> Sorry, I I'm reading the article too, and I just read the sound. So, whatever. Let's give it a listen. I mean, they're super resonant, but also yeah. you can tune them. I mean, I started out low because I felt like that was the most impressive and probably what would make most people go like, wow, they can do that. But they kind of lived in that medium range really well where they had a really round but kind of snappy resonance. I'm um, really just surprised at the low tuning that they didn't kind of die. Um, yeah. They was, still, yeah. you know, they sounded fantastic. Yeah, and that, that first uh, clip was... I mean, they were barely any tension on the heads whatsoever. Yeah, and there was no growl. Like, yeah, they just no. sounded like – they sounded fantastic. That's cool, man. Yeah, so um, they'll work for anything. I would have – ideally, I would have cut a port in the front head and thrown some muffle inside, but that's the way they shipped it, and I didn't want to – I didn't want to do that. But Wow, that yeah. was just straight stock heads. Stock heads. Going for it. Very little wow. tweaking. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't go crazy with – with matching all the lugs. I mean, I did initially, but then once I started moving the tuning around, I just kind of eyeballed it up and down. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's a great, love a it. Great kit for, you know, it's a professional kit, but it's not like the most extreme. It's not a luxury car. It's like a, right. It's like, no, a it good sounds Subaru. like I mean, it's got a professional sound and you <laughs> yeah. can gig with it. And if it gets a beer spilled on it, you know, you don't, you don't have to start a fight. Exactly. You can just be like, all right, definitely uh, cool. There goes my new drum set. But <laughs> no, I, I think it's great, and I think you you said it right. But it's cool that a, a company like SJC that can do a million different finishes chose this one classy finish that'll fit everyone's purpose. Yeah, I can't think of any drummer that would hate this unless you're just. A I also, hater. <laughs> yeah, I also can't think of any snare you might have that won't go with this kit. That's another thing. Yeah, that's true. I'm I I do care about the aesthetics and i like knowing that like i could throw a silver sparkle on that kit and it would look great yeah yeah exactly it's pretty universal cool man well that is the sjc paramount series shell pack so check it out you can go to their website definitely follow them on instagram they put out so much awesome content um and really let you inside the factory and inside the process uh, mike is truly one of the great people in our in- industry so check that out all right let's get into listener questions Oh, man, we're there already. So the first one, here we go. This is from Bill. He says, in episode 98, 
Mr. Dawson referred to putting aside his arrogance and was better adept to appreciate music and musicians in a new enlightened mind. Can you speak to this imperative? Uh, how serious musicians should, should find pathways to one's own transcendent enlightenment away from snobbery and arrogance to listen with more innocence and less jaded ears. Uh, oh, that's a great question. It is. Uh, probably arrogance is not the best word that I would describe it. Because I think a lot of it is ignorance as well. Or, or inexperience. Yeah, yeah, I think there's so many. Essentially, I think it's for me, making music with other human beings is to get rid of your agenda. So you have to come to a, yeah. a group agreement of what is my role? What should I be doing? Who's the lead? Who's controlling the, the groove? Who's, when should I make, you know, when should I sacrifice what I think is right in order for the better musical experience for everyone? Right. So I think that's just over time, but, um, Again, I mean, I, were I, you ever at a point? Were you ever at a point through going through your jazz stuff that you looked at a specific genre and just blankly said, "That sucks. Country sucks. Punk rock sucks." Or were you always of the mind of like, "Well, let me hear it first." Yeah, I think. I mean, I think I have an unusual circumstance where I kind of was forced to play tons of music, and in order to make money playing music, I had to play all kinds of music, so I couldn't afford right. to be like, musical theater sucks. Well, that's all I right. did for like 10 years. I couldn't afford right. to be country music sucks, because coming from the Maryland area, there's a lot of country music, and you kind of have to just do it. Um, right. I did kind of go through a, a metal sucks kind of a... That was my okay. thoughts for a while. Sure. And that was probably just because I didn't have to play it and I didn't really like to listen to it. And therefore, I just was going to just set it aside. There weren't a lot of gigs where bands were hiring me to play metal. That just wasn't. Sure. But, and it comes it comes down to ignorance again. I mean, it's, yeah. it'd be probably different if you stood you know, backstage with one of the great metal bands of the time. You would yeah. probably have a whole different appreciation for it because you'd be putting yourself in that drummer's shoes like we all do when we see anyone perform. And you'd be going... Oh my God, I couldn't do that. If they asked me right now, if this dude had a heart attack and I had to fill in, I couldn't do that. And that's <laughs> yeah. when it's like, okay, sucks and is not my thing are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. There's lots of music that still is not my thing, but I never jump to that point where I say it sucks. That means it's bad and it's failing at trying to do what it does. That's not the case. Um, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know who said it, but I think there are only two kinds of music is, is very true. Good music and bad music. And I think for me, I, I crossed the line of there's honest music and there's, you know, what's the opposite yeah, of point. honest. I mean, you're not being truthful with, I mean, if you're, tr right. if you're playing the most kind of down the middle mainstream pop music and you're honest about it and it comes across in an emotional way, you can't deny it. But if Dude. you're, if you're trying to sell records and you're really this right. like really kind of weirdo but you're trying to like write cheesy love songs it's going right. to come across as it is that's the thing and that's that's when i can choose to to say no this isn't good it's because you're failing at what you're trying to do i can see through it um but it's also funny though how the audience the audience's arrogance changes John Mayer is a cheesy pop artist. Oh, he's got Pino and Steve Jordan. Yeah, John right. Mayer is the deepest cat ever. And it's like, <laughs> dude, it was like a one-year span of time. What happened? Or we just found out that Steve Jordan did drums on that album that was so cheesy. Now it's brilliant. You know, yeah. and it's like, 
All right. So I, I think all of us need to be more open-minded about all genres of music and art in general. Yeah. Hell, life in general. But still, I think when it comes to, to music, you need to be open-minded. And then I, I, I learned my lesson by seeing the rock bands that I thought, you know, quote unquote sucked by seeing them live because I was forced to be on tour opening for them. And I realized, no, this is, this is great at what it does. Blink-182 was great at what they did and they were trying to do what they did and they did it really well. So yeah, yeah. I wasn't interested in it at the time, but I go back and listen to, especially what Travis was playing on those records it's like, right. man, he was going for it. He was pushing. There's no re- There's no wonder that every teenage drummer wanted to sound like Travis Barker. He was right. totally. giving you tons of stuff to, to learn. Right. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, that's what they were going for, and they achieved it. So I think uh, all of us could do better by being more open-minded about everything. Yeah, I guess my final point would be that just working at Modern Drummer, I have to abs- – I cannot be arrogant or have any blinders. I mean, one of my first cover stories was – was with Chris Adler and I had not listened to Lamb of God at all until I got the assignment and I had to spend two months preparing and I transcribed like every beat he ever played. By the end of it, I was like, dang, this band is for real. Like he's going for it. And I had the same, same experience with Zach Hill. Like the first time you hear Zach Hill, you're like, what is this (laughs) maniac doing? But I listened to every record he ever made and then you start seeing how everything kind of comes together. So yeah, for it's, Part of it for me, and it would be exactly the same if Chris Adler had to transcribe a bunch of Max Roach stuff. You know, by the end, it would be the same conclusion. He'd be like, "Man, this stuff's the real stuff." And and the good thing about when you go that direction, when you go backwards, is then you realize, "Man, all that stuff I thought I made up, I guess it was done before." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you transcribe like one. Papa Joe solo, and you're like, yeah, I I guess I didn't make anything up. All right, so the next question comes from. Okay, here's one from Tom. What defines your style as a drummer, or how do you define it? For instance, one day, if I set up my, my kit like Steve Gadd and tune the snare low and try to play like him, but then the next day I want to play uh, pop punk and play like Travis Barker, um, and then the next day I want to sound like John Blackwell or something. So he's saying, how do you define your style? It's once all those people blend together and uh and mix with who you truly are um you know i I think we all go through our phases where we try to emulate somebody and straight up plagiarize their their art because we're trying to assimilate it into ourselves and we're so impressed by it but at some point that's that next level i think one of the last steps in becoming a great drummer is finding your sound. Um, and I don't mean just on, you know, the kit and the snare choice. I mean, how do you attack the drums? The way that you spoke of Steve Jordan playing his snare and it sounded nothing like when you played his snare. Exactly. I think that that, um, Benny Greb is a great example of, I can't make his ride sound the way he makes it sound his when, but when he plays it, it's how could he play any other ride? It's perfect Mm. for him. So, so I think finding that sound and that combination, um, all the drummers you just mentioned, I think an amalgamate of those drummers and a little bit of you would make a killer drummer. So yeah. um, that's what's what's fun. You know, some people just maybe they obsess over uh, Elvin and Max Roach, but then they just love the way that Ringo's toms just kind of fell down the staircase. You know, his <laughs> yeah. tom fills. Um, well, put those together and then you get something new that we've never heard before. Yeah. So, 
But I, I, I do think that if you are specifically trying to create a sound based off of other people, you're going to fall a little short. I yep. think at some point yep. you have to kind of give up the reins and just let let it flow out of you. Yeah. There's a great interview with uh, Vinny Cayuta and Dom Famulara. Have you seen that? No. It's on YouTube. It's part of the, that session oh, series. Oh, video. Yeah, they're just sitting down in this Dom interview and Vinny, and he okay. he addresses this very topic and about how he was kind of getting real kind of frustrated with not having his own thing and okay. you know, obsessing over wanting to sound like Tony and Elvin and all these guys. But ultimately, he says he had to just stop thinking about it and let go of it because okay. you, you can't force it. You can't force your yeah. own style. And I think the one barometer would be when do you stop wishing you sound like someone else and then yeah for sure like for me the shift is i wish i sound like keith carlock too how can i take some of that stuff that keith is doing and use it rather than thinking i don't have it it doesn't sound like keith well i just want to take that idea and and see what and I how do you morph it so that somebody asks you about it and then you go actually that kind of came from when i was really into keith yeah exactly you know there doesn't sound like you're just throwing on like oh there's the keith lick it's like right. I just here comes some... my Weckle. <laughs> yeah. I, got, I dissected my one Weckle lick, and it's going to come right after my Virgil. Yeah, I mean that's the key is that it's like, well, what is it that you love about Keith? You know, Keith, um, who I'm so excited got added to the 21 Drums camp, and I get to spend a week studying with yeah, you know, next awesome. to him. Yeah. But um, Keith opened my mind to jazz phrasing, jazz improvisation in straight sixteenths. It never occurred to me. Um, and right. I just thought, like, oh, I've always loved that freedom that the jazz drummers that I watch have. I've always loved that, but I, I don't feel that. I one, I'm not musically playing that kind of music, and two, I, I don't want to do it in triplet form. I want to do it in six, straight sixteenths. So, you know, I, I would, I enjoy when people say, "Do that thing you're doing, like where you're kind of speaking between your kick and your snare." It's like, well, I can obviously trace it back to jazz, but really. It never even occurred to me to do it like that until I saw Keith play the Modern Drummer Festival. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that, that's yeah. the key. I think it's you know it's the the irony of life. You can't force yourself somewhere where you're not going to go. <laughs> you just can't yeah. do it. Right. You know. I also think too, like your sound. I don't. I I don't know. I, I definitely don't have this figured out yet because I'm still developing my own sound. But I know that it's other people telling me about my sound that is the sound. Yeah, you couldn't um, one day me. say I'm going to have the most flowing, relaxed right. sound ever. Right. You can't just I mean it's, you could, you can make that a goal, but right. You, you can't erase the years of what you've done before that. Like I couldn't all of a sudden say I'm going to play really aggressive. My sound is going to be right. aggressive because right. I've, I've yeah, spent yeah, yeah. 30 years learning how to play very quietly, <laughs> you know, so I can't right. erase totally. that. Yeah, exactly. And it, and back to like hating on other styles of music, it would be inauthentic. We would notice. It's yeah, like dude, exactly. you're, for, you're wishing that you know for this moment in time you're Tommy Lee. There was a guy that did some videos back in the day on YouTube, and it was like he'd do like ten seconds of a few different drummers, and I was one of them. So it was like he did like a little Tony Royster thing. Then he did you know whoever uh, I, I don't know who he did, but then when he did me, it was like. Oh, so that's what you hear in my playing? And I was like, okay, uh, okay. That it was just kind. Of, it was such a different. I mean, imagine me making a video, impersonating you on the drums. You would probably be like, wait, that's what you hear when you hear me play? Okay, oh, wow. Weird. Okay, so let's do a little quiz here. Okay, 
what do you think your sound is? Oh, man. Um, things that would identify my sound would probably be that I don't typically do a two and four backbeat. Mm, um, okay. Because I noticed that in so many other drummers, like say Carter, he'll he'll start with kick and or snare on two and four, and then he'll improvise all around that. But snare will always still be on two and four to give you something to anchor onto. Mm. I, I I definitely improvise around that. So there's that. Um, I actually have no idea. I just yeah. sit down and play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know that I could answer it either. I would like to think because of what I'm focusing on, it's. I play streamlined, effortless, not effortless, streamlined, kind of flowy and deliberate. I hope, you know, like I hope there's not a lot of clutter and noise in my playing because that's my goal in life is to not have a lot of clutter and noise in my head or in the music that I make. But I don't know that that always comes across and I would... I'd be way it's, too arrogant to say that that's what I sound like. Yeah, that's what I – it's like I can't – well, yeah, what am I going to say? Be like, I don't know, flawless timing, killer tone, and just overall badass nature of drumming. That's pretty much the myself? greatest of all Yeah, time. I don't know. I guess just a mix of Vinny and Buddy with a little bit of – But a little rackle. bit more, actually. A little. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, not as restrained as Vinny. <laughs> not as held back as Buddy Rich. <laughs> but I really going for it. I think yeah, I think it's like buddy, way more but like really going for it. More forward thinking too. <laughs> I don't really stay in the past like those guys. Um yeah. So All right, time for pick of the week. This show is going overtime and my my stomach is going to explode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fantastic. Okay, my I'm pick kidding. of the week this I'm time. I'm actually I'm healthy. You want to go first? I'm healthy. I'm not I'm not ill. Um, no. Yeah, so I I I spent a good time on the road. Uh, first of all, more listener questions should come into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We do have a few audio questions that have been we've been hanging on to, so if we get a couple more, we'll do an all-audio question segment coming up. Nice. But, Love it. You know, I spent a lot of time driving this past weekend, and for me, when I'm driving, I like to listen to podcasts. It just makes the travel go a lot faster than listening to three-and-a-half-minute songs for four hours right. straight. So one that I tried early on but didn't really catch me, but I went back and revisited is I'm just opening it now. It, Chick Korea has a podcast. It's called Music Magic with Chick Korea. There's not a ton of episodes, um, and they're not the most like you know. If you think we're amateur hour on a podcast, <laughs> these are definitely <laughs> amateur hour. It's essentially Chick and and a, and a friend sitting down and they just talk. And there's like there's you can there's literally no direction of where they're going. Okay, but I mean he's sitting down with uh, Wallace Rooney and Gary Burton and Stanley Clark and John wow. Mayer and Bella Fleck and Herbie Hancock and Marcus Gilmore. So. It, you know, yeah. even their random Take it. conversations backstage before a gig is still full of little little pearls of wisdom. So uh, I don't have any in particular that I would recommend. I think the Herbie Hancock one was really cool because you've got two guys who are peers. They're also elder statesmen. And nice. Herbie is actually one of Chick's biggest influences. Oh, so wow. you get to hear these guys who are relatively the same age, but... Herbie was had the big gigs before Chick, so it, right. it's really neat. And same thing with Gary Burton. Gary Burton was a really good one. I didn't realize how 
you know, Gary Burton was involved in the scene at a, like a, as a teenager playing with, with all the big names in New York City before Chick Corea broke. So Gary Burton, again, was wow. getting the bigger gigs before Chick. So they're sitting down. So it, it's a really, cool. really good – I mean, hopefully he keeps doing them. There's not a lot there, but they're worth it. It's called Music Magic with Chick Corea. Fantastic. I'll check it out for sure. I love listening to that stuff. And sometimes those not so professional podcasts end up being the best ones because people just get relaxed and loose and say things they might not otherwise say in just a for, very formal interview. So yeah, I love that totally. Stuff. And just to hear these guys, I mean, Chick has a, his Boston accent. I mean, it's just cool to yeah, yeah. get some personality to these guys that I only know as musicians, really. Right. Super Fantastic. Cool. Well, my pick of the week is a... Uh, another musical stud which is robert glasper uh this is a video series that i want you to check out um it's robert glasper live at capitol studios and the song is so beautiful and uh i'm not positive let me just check if it says it doesn't say but i'm pretty sure do you know if uh damian reed is open-handed I think so. Uh, okay. I, I'm pretty sure this is Damian Reed on drums, um, but it's not listed in the show notes. And um, and he's somebody that I would love to learn more about. But whoever is playing drums, I'm pretty sure it's Damian Reed, just because he's a minor artist, and I know he plays with Robert Glasper. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it's shot is there's not a lot of focus on the drummer, but I would like you guys to hear it because it'll change your mind about how you think of ballads because you're going to hear this song come in uh, – and it's very mellow, very chilled out. But then all of a sudden, there's just this this smoldering fire behind it on the drums that mm-hmm. is just incredible. So before I talk about it anymore, let's give it a quick listen. I love piano Dude. trio. That's my favorite oh. ensemble. If oh. I could play in a piano trio like this, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. That's a guarantee. I, you know, uh, this ended up being kind of the back uh, background music for last night's band practice. We had this on. I said, you know, we don't need to cover this, but I need, I need to have this type of a song in my life. I need mm. us to play something slow where I, I'm never ever committing to a beat like a little one measure groove. Right. But there's always this just forward momentum, but but it's just not what you would expect under something so beautiful. But I, I think you guys should not only hear it, you can obviously get the album. The album is called Covered by Robert Glasper, but you can I would encourage you to watch it on YouTube because one of my favorite things that's going on right now is super HD footage with high contrast black and white. Yeah. Like I just really love nice. it. Yeah. Love it. And uh, and you and because it's recorded and, and there's a vocal mic over by Robert Glasper, you can hear him humming the melody as he's playing, and he just can't help himself from singing. So check it out, Robert Glasper, so beautiful live at Capitol Studios. Timeless man, that black and white. I mean, it's it's definitely an homage to like the the jazz casuals with John totally. Coltrane and Miles. I mean, it's it's timeless. Very. Cool. It, you know what? The black and white footage led us as a band. Last night we came in here in the studio. And we watched this a few thousand times. And then uh, 
all of a sudden I was like, dude, do you guys know who Sonny Payne is? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh, let me show you this. And we went on this black and white voyage. I showed him Sonny Payne, Papa Joe. And then Dean was like, oh, do you know this piano player? And we watched somebody that I'd never heard of. And it was all, we went on this run of like 30s, 40s, and 50s. It was really cool, man. So Can we do this podcast in black and white? Would that be cool? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you can't take the color out of us, buddy. This is, this is what we do. We bring the heat. Every week, everyone, send in your uh, questions. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Mike already mentioned that. Please. Keep listening. Give us a review wherever you're listening to us from. That helps other drummers find this podcast and have an amazing, amazing week. Go who's going to who's going to kick us out? It's uh, we've got Luke, Luke with a fat beat. 